0: Daily News and Analysis. We keep you informed and inspired.
1: This is World Today.
2: Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi visits Spain after attending the Munich Security Conference in Germany. OpenAI announced a new tool that generates short AI videos based on user prompts. China's consumption drive witnessed a fresh momentum during the spring festival holiday. Welcome to World Today, a news program with a different perspective. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching World Today. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi has called on China and Spain to jointly tackle global challenges and make new contributions to world peace and development. Wang Yi met his Spanish counterpart José Manuel Albares after attending the Munich Security Conference. As the two ministers met the press, Wang Yi said win-win should be the goal and all countries should avoid lose-lose dynamics, which was discussed at the conference in Germany. He urged the world to unite and oppose biases to support a vision for global modernization. Before his trip to Spain, Wang Yi stressed the need for an quote-unquote equal and orderly multipolar world at the Munich Security Conference. Dong Xue has the details.
3: Those who attempt to shut China out in the name of de-risking will make a historic mistake, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi made the remarks to international security policy officials at this year's Munich Security Conference. Wang Yi said the global economy is like a big ocean that cannot be cut into isolated lakes and that the trend toward economic globalization cannot be reversed, sending out the signal that the door is wide open for international business. No matter how the international situation may change, Wang said, China, as a responsible major country, will remain a stabilizing force in a volatile world. Russia is China's largest neighbor. The steady development of China-Russia relations on the basis of non-alignment, non-confrontation and non-targeting of any third party serves the common interests of both sides and contributes to the strategic stability of the Asia-Pacific region and the world at large. Wang went on and said China and the EU should avoid geopolitical and ideological interference, remain partners rather than adversaries, and work to provide a new path for overcoming difficulties together. Wang also said that Beijing will strengthen the collaboration among global south and is committed to increasing the representation and voices of developing countries in global affairs, and contributing to a more balanced and effective global governance architecture. China's presence at the annual event as the world's largest developing country dates back to 2010, giving the Munich Security Conference an international character so that it does not appear to be just a meeting for European leaders and military personnel dominated by Western nations. Well, this year, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi has continued to do so by advocating China's long-standing position of an equal and orderly multipolar world.
2: That was Dongxue with the report. Now for more on this, we're joined by Kamal Makili-Aliev. He is affiliated researcher at Raoul Wallenberg Institute of Human Rights and Humanitarian Law in Sweden. We're also joined by Zhou Bo, Senior Fellow of the Center for International Security and Strategy at China's Tsinghua University. Gentlemen, thank you uh, for joining me for this very important uh, conference and topic. Um, now, maybe let me start with Zhou Bo, please. Um, so, you were in the Chinese military before you joined uh, the think tank at Tsinghua University. Tell us how significant is it that China sent its foreign minister to Munich Sec- Security Conference to address the conference and answer questions?
0: Well, the Munich Security Conference is the, the mm. nothing new for me. Uh, actually, uh, I attended three times, including mm-hmm. last year. Uh, but uh, I believe right at this moment, uh, all the world really is in need of a voice of China. Uh, the thing is, even, I think China is, is really becoming more important in that. Uh, there are many situations which actually have nothing to do with China, but still China has to be involved. For example, like the war in Ukraine, uh, China is not informed. China did not participate, but still people ask, uh, what is the position, right? Which side would you mm-hmm. take? And so is the situation uh, in uh, the Middle East and even about the latest crisis in the uh, Red Sea. And people want to know how uh, China might respond and how PLA Navy might respond. So mm. the fact is China is growing with strength.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, the the theme of this conference is lose and lose. But lose and lose is just phenomenon, right?
4: Mm. So
0: uh, or the kind of Western phenomenon. So how can we avoid this kind of situation? People have to look for something. And therefore, Chinese voice matters. So in this regard, I at least, uh, yeah, uh, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi was there last chair, and this year he's again there. And therefore, I think it's important yeah for him to be there and for people to listen to Chinese speech.
2: Mm, indeed. Now, both of you must have been watching Wang Yi's speech at the conference, which is titled, quote, unquote, a staunch force for stability in a turbulent world. Kamal, what about you? What messages uh, do you think uh, have you got, you know, from this speech by Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi? Well, first of all, mm-hmm.
5: thank you very much for having me on mm-hmm. the show again. Um the this- the second to answer your question is that was a very interesting speech uh, because it's the one that is delivered in the situation as the minister have pointed out of uh, a turbulence uh, in the world right now in mm. terms of the security and because China <coughs> was an instrumental piece of the international security since the World War II mm-hmm. yes and because it's uh, also a permanent member of the Security Council of the United Nations uh, it. Uh, possesses both uh, impressive military capabilities that uh, are, you know, on the top of the world. uh, And because of all these factors and the the global outreach of China, of course, um, such a player on the international arena, although I'm not an expert in China, but, you know, just internationally such a player will have concerns when something is wrong with the present order of the world security. And I think that was one of the first messages uh, that I've heard uh, that minister would, uh, you know, address to the conference mm. is that we are right now in unprecedented um, since World War Two in unprecedented uh, turbulence of international security. We can see uh, the large conflicts uh, being spread up around the world. Right. We We, we tend to focus very much on only ukraine and russia these days because of how it dominates the media but there are also other parts of the world in the southeast asia right mm-hmm. and the situation in Myanmar, and uh, uh, we can take example of ethiopia where more than half of million of people have died in the recent conflict mm-hmm. those kind of examples they are also very illustrative apart from the ones that dominate the 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 mid-agenda of how turbulent the world has become And that the security architecture doesn't hold in the same way as it was, and the China is very concerned about that and wants to play a more stabilizing role. Mm. Um, uh, Yeah.
2: Mm, Right, Zhou Bo. In your observation, uh, what are the key messages that China wanted to, you know, send out to the world in the speech by Wang Yi?
0: I'm really impressed by Wang's speech this time Mm. because uh, apparently the world is becoming more chaotic. So that is why the Munich Security Conference, like in the past, actually has portrayed a miserable pictures with different terms. I remember you talked about how the international order is falling apart, how the world is becoming less lesser Westernness, and even the West is becoming less the Western, so on and so forth. So looking at the world, it really depends on where you are standing, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the Munich Security Conference is actually a kind of a European view about the world. So it is looking at the world from a European perspective and from the Europe, what uh, you can see. You, you don't see uh, a lot of things that are really, you know, optimistic. You see the war in Ukraine and you see uh, the war in the Middle East that also involves, you know, at least the United States. And uh, you see uh, China uh, in the far distance which, which is having an rise but uh, this kind of things for Europe is not necessarily a good thing. So I think China's uh, speech uh, presented by uh, Mr. Wang Yi is actually a confident one
4: mm. and
0: tells a lot about how China is confident about itself and how China hopes this world should actually make joint efforts to tackle all the problems. Yeah, I give you mm. an example. Yeah, Chinese. Oh, the world, yes, it's become more chaotic. And as a response, how should the country do? You see, NATO's countries are just uh, spending, you know, uh, more countries in NATO are spending, you know, um, uh, 2% G- GDP on mm-hmm. uh, defense, which mm-hmm. is the requirement. And so are countries in Asia Pacific, such as Japan, such as uh, India. But the China's defense budget always remains low uh, on the. It is always, you know, lower than 2%. What does that mean? that tell you? Defense budget would not lie.
4: Mm. Defense
0: budget tells you your how you think about your rivalry, how you think about your enemy, and how you think about yourself. And keeping China's defense budget low, China shows that it is self-confident. And this confidence is important for the region. And it is even important for China-U.S. relationship, for example.
2: Mm. Mm, indeed. Now, uh, taking a look at the specifics of the speech, um, Wang Yi outlined how China has played the role of uh, a force for stability in global hotspot issues. He specifically mentioned China's role in the historic uh, reconciliation between Saudi Arabia and Iran, and also China's role in the uh, Palestinian-Israel conflict and the Russia-Ukraine conflict, also uh, on the denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula, among other things. Kamal, how how do you observe China's role in this, uh, especially you know the these uh, you know the the, the diplomatic uh, reconciliation between Saudi Arabia and Iran? How important is it?
5: Uh, I think it's uh, very important because you need to have all the important security players mm. <clears throat> doing their part in the stabilizing international peace and security these days. Um, unfortunately, on the multinational level level of the united nations it's not always possible um, due to uh, the disagreements between those key players but uh, even the unilateral role or the role in uh, cooperation on bilateral level um, as we can see can uh, make uh, better results uh, than not doing anything mm-hmm. and i think the china's role is actually um, in for example the saudi and iran reconciliation is very telling um, telling of that. There's also <clears throat> the Russia-Ukraine conflict, mm. and there, I would say, what I've noted as a person studying Russia, of course not China, and studying the Eastern Europe and the European Union, um, is uh, how China played a huge role in denuclearization of the discourse um, mm. that have sprang out with the conflict, uh, and after the visit of uh, China's leadership Xi Jinping to Russia, we have seen that there was uh, basically uh, that discourse became non-existent and that is very important for the international security to have the uh, uh, nuclearized discourse um, these days because of the turbulence that we see in the world, the risk, the risk, especially the risk to nuclearization of conflicts is, is rising and that was um, a very telling uh, part of that, um, what China have achieved, although it's not really for diplomatic reason officialized, but it quite clear to the analyst whose role there was in mm-hmm. the nuclearization of the discourse on the same uh, on the same page i would say that uh, if we we'll take a look at the wang yis speech it was very clear about uh, non use of force mm-hmm. as a principle in, in international relations and that uh, china is supporting uh, resolution of all the conflicts politically mm-hmm. and all the situations and all the claims and all the disputes and whatever there is in, in terms of tension between the states uh, without any kind of use of force. And that seems like to be a principal position that was also communicated very clearly in the speech. Mm. And that means that the China will going to be setting out the priorities for the political resolutions uh, of any kind of a situations, situation. And it was promoted in the speech uh, by the minister in terms of existing, but also the latent problems that the uh, world has of its uh, international security issues Indeed. and i think that is a, a little a little bit um, in contrast to what we have seen um, in the international community for for, for some time now mm. and this this position is, is very uh, is very principled uh, in terms of how it's communicated but also um, how china was consistent in mm. this position
2: right well, uh, then, Zhou, Bu, on all these uh, hotspot issues that you know that are that are causing a lot of pain and trouble for hum- humanity, uh, how do you understand the philosophy that have have driven China's position on security, and how does that philosophy, you know, relate to the Global Security Initiative proposed by China?
0: Yeah, uh, China's uh, Global Security Initiative, uh, initiated by President Xi Jinping. Um, is uh, also, you know, uh, in tandem with uh, his other proposal, like you know,
4: the
0: mm. uh, yeah, development initiative and uh, like the civilization de- initiative, and I would just reason in different ways. For example, under the global development initiative, it's basically about development, and uh, China does not only, you know, pro- make proposals about how the world should be t- developed, but China does have something. Very much tangible. That is Belt and Road Initiative, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we uh, have uh, spent uh, uh, reportedly a trillion dollars in it. So it is very much tangible. So there is some something that is very much substantive under this kind of a uh, mm-hmm. global development initiative. When we come to the uh, security global security initiative, uh, on the face of it, the PLA's involvement overseas uh, is not. Uh, uh, that uh, uh, impressive in that uh, it is restricted yeah, to just a few areas, that is peacekeeping, counter and disaster relief. But if you look at it carefully, you mm-hmm. can conclude that all these operations have one main in common, that is uh, military operations other than war or, we say, they're all humanitarian in nature. Mm-hmm. And this Right now, is the uh, the second, uh, you know, uh, strongest uh, nation on earth in terms of GDP. Mm-hmm. And the PLA is becoming, you know, more and more powerful. But a stronger PLA, uh, what is PLA going to do? Mm-hmm. That is, is, that is a, the billion-dollar question. It's not only about uh, Taiwan, which is a sovereignty issue. It's is also about protecting China's overseas interests. It's also about, uh, you know, showing China's uh, international responsibilities. But PLA overseas is just behaving mm-hmm. exclusively in humanitarian area, and that tells a lot about how PLA might behave in the future, and that will make PLA quite different from all the Western militaries who have been, you know, doing all this kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, operations, launching wars against others uh, with uh, this kind of uh, excuse or that kind of reasons, but. Mm-hmm. The, the thing is, people die after so many killings, and who care about all these bloody reasons and names, right? Mm-hmm. So my hope is that PLA will stick to this, even if it becomes stronger, that it. it will just operate exclusively in the humanitarian area. In this way, you'll try your best to help other people, and you're a, a good name that is different from a world policeman.
2: Mm. Well, another specific is uh, that during a meeting with U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, Wang Yi said that the pursuit of turning de-risking into de-synicization, uh, s- building small yard hyphens and also decoupling from China will eventually backfire on the United States itself. Um Come on. in your observation, I mean, Munich security, as both of you have kind of hinted earlier, is a conference of uh, for Europe. I mean, why did Wang Yi put, you know, the relations between China and United States in his speech? How does it matter for the for the entire conference and the audiences?
5: Right now, we are watching as the United States and China are trying to renegotiate a lot of what they have in their bilateral relationship. And Mm -hmm. the road to that is not always, uh, you know, smooth and rocky. And of course, because of that, and because of the uh, tensions between two global players, international security, um, all of that uh, is impacting the international security, uh, you know, per se. And that also means that the, for the European security, uh, this relationship and how this relationship is going to play out between the United States and China is also very important. And from that point of view, uh, Wang Yi is, of course, correct as saying that those kind of uh, discourse that uh, it sees in, in the United States um, uh, bilateral relationship with China is, uh, is if it's going to happen is going to backfire in the United States itself, but it's also going to hurt China a lot. So that's, of course, a point of concern that these uh, two uh, big world powers mm. um, have to come to some kind of understanding about the international security, but also be able to cooperate in their relationship because that is just better for the, everybody else in the world. If we exclude those two, of course, it's important for them, but that's also impactful on everybody else in the world and how United States and China are going to be cooperating or not cooperating, which would be worse in terms of international security and delineation of other parts of the uh, bilateral relationship. Well, with that said, this is of course um, a process, and so it's nothing is set in stone yet, and mm. the developments are right now just enveloping. Um, but I think it was uh, a fair warning as well, because uh, you know all the analysts agree on on one thing that doesn't you know benefit neither U.S. and China if they are going to be um, you know uh, de risking and mm. uh, decoupling from each other. So
2: mm, yeah. right. Well, um, Wang Yi visits Spain and France after attending the Munich Security Conference in Germany. Uh, Zhou Bo so um, what do you think the roles are for China and major European countries and also the European Union in world security? Uh, What are the similarities in their security policies and how can they work with each other?
0: That's a very big question. Mm -hmm. First of all, the European Union certainly is uh, one pole in the world. Therefore, it is uh, in China's own interest uh, that they've developed a friendly or at least a working relationship with European countries. Uh, but uh, I think the European Union is under kind of American pressure.
4: Mm. So uh,
0: they would describe China as a systemic rival, economic partner. So, But they put putting all this together. What does it mean? Nobody really knows. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I talk to many Europeans and this, this kind of slogan is simply confusing. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, given the uh, this kind of intensified rivalry you know, between uh, uh, China and the United States, uh, therefore uh, we understand that uh, uh, this kind of uh, uh, you know competition will also spill over elsewhere. Uh, Europe definitely uh, is uh, one of the areas. So I basically believe uh, U- Europe, uh, European continent. Uh, actually, is where uh, China and the United States would compete to win people's hearts. Mm. Because if you look at it, the whole world, I think China has already won over the United States in uh, uh, large areas of global South, especially in Africa,
4: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, also uh, some also to uh, to lesser extent uh, in uh, Latin America. Yeah, But mm-hmm. about this whole Asia-Pacific or Indo-Pacific, whatever you call it, it's a patchy picture.
4: Mm-hmm. Because
0: uh, you know, we have countries like uh, ASEAN, you see, who, who, who has been China's uh, largest trading partners for three consecutive years. So the Ministry security report says that uh, countries, uh, in terms of security, are just taking sides of the United States. I don't think that is true. I think Japan, mm-hmm. uh, if you talk about Japan, Australia, the, and the Philippines, that is fine. But about the majority of countries in this region, mm-hmm. I don't believe. Uh, in terms of security, uh, these countries have already taken American side. No country is stupid. No country is blind enough to take sides.
4: Mm-hmm. These
0: countries now are taking sides with issues. So that means on this issue, I'm taking Chinese side. On that issue, I'm, I probably uh, will take American side.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so I don't. I, mm-hmm. I think that Europe. Coming back to the question,
4: mm-hmm. Europe
0: is extremely important for us. And And that we put our best to manage this relationship.
2: Indeed. Well, I wish we had more time, but we're running uh, toward the end of the first half of the show. Again, I want to thank you. That was Kamal makili Adiyev, affiliated researcher at Raul Wallenberg Institute of Humani- Human Rights and Humanitarian Law in Sweden. Also, Zhou Bo, senior fellow of the Center for International Security and Strategy at Tsinghua University. You're listening to World Today. We'll be right back after a short break.
0: Elaf Elard, economics professor and member of the Data Science and AI Center at New York University Shanghai. On the World Today program, you can find in-depth and impartial insight, as well as critical commentary on key trends
6: in the Chinese economy, financial technology, business, and blockchain. To prepare for the world tomorrow, join me on World Today.
2: Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT, announced their new Sora tool, which can generate short AI videos based on user prompts. CEO Sam Altman said they are teaching AI to understand and simulate the physical world in motion. The tool is not yet available to the public. OpenAI says it is consulting with artists, policymakers, and other stakeholders before releasing the new tool to the public. So what does this new leap in artificial intelligence mean for us? And what are the potential risks? And also, what new questions will it raise? For these questions and more, my colleague Zhao Yang spoke with Ina Tangan, Senior Fellow at Taihe Institute.
7: So Aina, thank you for joining us. OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT, is developing a tool called Sora, which can generate one minute long videos based on simple text prompts. So can you tell us about this new technology? What does it mean for us and how it
1: works? Well, I mean, this is something that has just come out. Um, So far, it's in beta, which means that it's not generally available to the public. Um, But it's really wowed everybody with its ability to take uh, simple instructions from you uh, and then create a video up to one minute long. Uh, And it can have uh, music and um, characters and it's moving.
7: And experts say Sora appears to be significantly more advanced than any other video generation tool. So could you elaborate more on that? What's new about it and how different is it from other companies' products?
1: Well, I mean, there, there are other products out there. The, the issue is when you give it instructions, uh, you say, look, I want to have a, a story about a little boy who's by the stream and he's fishing and then all of a sudden he catches a rainbow. Um, what Zora is able to do is to put that together very quickly uh, and to color it in. So a lot of this has to do with the ability to uh, do the production itself. And so far, people are saying that uh, this one is much better uh, than the previous ones. How does it do all of this? Well, obviously, uh, it's it's machine learning. Mm-hmm. It means that it's trained in order to do these types of things, uh, and it's able to render them uh, in ways which are seem more realistic or, or attractive to people.
7: Mm-hmm. And what does this new leap in AI technology mean for different industries? People are scrambling to understand how this leap in AI will impact their work. And do you think some industries will be better off than others? For example, how will it impact the filmmaking industry and even the news business, social media, advertising, learning, education and scientific research? How should people be prepared for this?
1: Well, it doesn't, um, uh, come up with the ideas, but what it can do is kind of fill in the blanks. Uh, so, uh, prior to today, everyone was talking about the ability of, uh, chat GPT to assemble large amounts of information and then summarize it, uh, based on, you know, the kind of prompts that you gave it. Uh, this has more to do with what you see and hear. So it's able to put these things together, uh, obviously, uh, People who do advertisements, um, filmmakers who do shorts, things like this, they might have some concern. But remember, you still have to give it the idea itself it's not it doesn't self-generate you say i sell widgets please give me something nice about widgets mm-hmm. um you know it, you have to give kind of fill it in uh, once it has enough instructions it will put something together and then of course you can uh, start modifying it uh, yourself so uh, once again it's a situation where the basic work can be done it can be modified very quickly um so it will help some uh and um uh, you know very good filmmakers, etc., who say, oh, this is perfect. Uh, instead of shooting for a day, I can have a list of shots, put them together, keep them all uh, in the same characters and the same colors, they don't they say you know I, I want the perfect picture, so you know it'll artificially create what they call it the, that uh, magic moment time that happens uh in the early morning and in the evening so uh there are a, a lot of things out there, but still, the creativity mm. uh you to imagine it is still up to the individual
4: mm,
7: but is there any jobs that will be taken by this technology?
1: Yeah, um, obviously I mean uh, a lot of jobs in post-production and things like that you don't need as many people uh, but you still do need people. So uh, if you are in advertising, you know, in, in the old days, you sit down with the client, you give them some ideas, and then you go away and you shoot it, uh, and that could take uh, weeks or months, depending on the location, all of these types of things. Instead, uh, within a very short period of time, you can show uh, the client and say, look. This is kind of um, how the AI is rendering this. I have some further refinements, but you can start showing the client what they're going to get. And it cuts down a lot of the time uh, that goes into that. So if you're somebody who's used to um, uh, carrying the boom around, you know, the boom microphone or something like this, uh, or cameramen and things uh, along those lines, yeah, you might have to worry a little bit.
7: Mm -hmm. And what are the potential dangers of tools like Sora? What new questions will they raise?
1: Well, you know, the question that comes down to is what's real and what's not real. Um, Now, the the maker, Altman, has said that they're building uh, something into that will allow uh, you to know whether this is a real a situation or whether in fact it is this uh, enhanced uh, chat GPT mm-hmm. uh, obviously that helps um, but you know you you, you start to wonder uh, if they can kind of remove that uh, and put out the what are called deep fakes and do it very very quickly um, even if it is uh, fake uh, people today are you know, they jump to conclusions. They, they have a lot of conspiracy theories and things like this. Uh, and this is not going to help with that. So, you know, this kind of you're, you're having a blurring of the line of what you know and don't know based on your senses, uh, your sight, and your hearing. Um, and these these things, you know, it's as I said, you, you, you have to be very careful. You, you want people to have a sense of reality and know mm-hmm. what is real versus what is just somebody's imagination.
7: Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on the regulation about the ChatGPT or the Generative AI, Ina, So how to strike a balance between those technological innovations, applications, and the regulation?
1: Well, you know, from my my personal point of view, I do think that uh, governments have to be involved. Uh, This is not something where you say to the industry, gee whiz, guys, we know you're real responsible. Uh, You know, the industry, they're looking for money. Uh, they say that they're, you know, very dedicated to, you know, no harm to anybody and, you know, we're going to be responsible. But it, it just hasn't worked out that way in the past. Uh, generally, you you have entities like this that try to build up almost a monopolistic power uh, depending on you know what they have to offer, whether it's the algorithm uh, that, you know, we're talking about now or whether it's because you control all this data, which is very important uh, to, you know, the, to creation. Um, you know, governments have to, uh, to make sure, as I said, you, you don't want a situation where people don't know what's real or not real, uh, where it, it appears that some candidate is saying, you know, these shocking things and people just tend to believe it because they, you know, they see it and says, oh, that looks so real. Uh, you can't have that. Um, and it's, you know it it's we're entering a new phase um there has to be a kind of balance point and you know this is where it always comes down to the industry says trust us and the government says not really but the government generally they're not as knowledgeable as uh, the industry obviously so it's a game of cat and mouse uh, that will continue for a long period to go based on what happens. Mm-hmm. Any kind of harm that occurs, uh, you'll have an outcry by the public and the government will move in with regulations.
2: That was Aina Tangan senior fellow at the Taihe Institute, speaking with my colleague Zhao Yang on the new tool by OpenAI to generate short AI videos. You're listening to World Today. Stay with us.
7: Hey guys, this is Gao Junya. Yang, host of Climate
2: Watch. Hello guys, I'm your host Tian Lu with the Headline News. For the Year of the Chinese Dragon, I would like to wish you may you have the power of the mighty and auspicious dragon in achieving your dreams and aspirations. I would like to wish you a journey filled with joy, success and a soaring spirit of Long Teng Si Hai. May your path be illuminated by the dragon's courage and mighty strength and wish you an abundance of good fortune and joy in the Chinese New Year.
6: Hey guys, this is Tianyu with the Beijing Hour. May your year of the Chinese dragon be blessed with health, wealth and happiness.
2: Cheers to a fantastic year ahead.
6: Welcome
2: back to World Today. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. A Chinese mainland spokesperson has voiced strong support for the Coast Guard Authority in the southeastern Fujian province to perform regular patrols in the Xiamen-Kinmen Maritime Area. Zhu Fenglian, spokesperson for the Taiwan Affairs Office of the State Council, made the remarks when addressing Taiwan's expulsion of a mainland fishing boat that happened a week ago. The incident led to two deaths. Zhu Fenglian said the relevant authorities in Taiwan were acting with disregard for human lives and a negative attitude, and such behaviors have harmed the feelings of compatriots on both sides of the Taiwan Strait and severely sabotaged cross-straits relations. For more, I earlier had a conversation with Liu Kuangyu, researcher at the Institute of Taiwan Studies, Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. Thank you for talking to me. Now, first up, uh, help us understand how fishermen conduct a fishing business in the Xiamen-Kinmen waters these days in general.
6: Uh, we know the distance from Xiamen to Kinmen is about one hundred, uh, about 1.8 kilometers, which is around one nautical mile. And we know that normal uh, near shore fishing distance is about 15 nautical miles. So that means the the fishermen from shaman the boat from Xiamen, they leave offshore one nautical mile, and they crossed the so-called line. This is obvi- obviously very ridiculous. Uh, in fact, uh, we can see that the Taiwan side has long regarded uh, the so-called the arrest and the punishment of uh, Chinese mainland fishermen as, uh, as somewhat like, like, like a cash cow and a political achievement project for their, uh, for their own political uh, ends. So there is some sort of a certain inevitability to this event. And uh, also the fishing industry uh, in this area is very important to Shaman to, and to Fujian as well. We know that Shaman is building a national fishing port economic zone. And fishing and marine economy are, are very important fishery uh, industries in Shaman and even the whole Fujian region. Uh, for example, we see it in the past few years, the total output of of uh, uh, aquatic products of, in Xiamen has reached uh, 50,000 tons yearly. And that importance of fishing, which is a traditional and innovative, innovative di- industry to the development of local people's uh, livelihood mm-hmm. is self-evident.
4: Mm-hmm. And
6: also there's a uh, cert- certain level of very close uh, cooperation between fishermen from the two sides of Taiwan streets. We know that for example, since 2015, fishermen from uh, Shaman and Kiman have been holding a joint fish fry release activities and has accumulated millions of fish uh, releasing to the sea, mm. which has been recognized by local fishermen. And these joint efforts of both sides to, uh, is to enable the sustainable development of the entire marine resources to better maintain the ecological environment of the waters and for and uh, the, the majority of fishermen across the straits, where well, they will also uh, benefit from it.
2: Mm. Well, thank you for providing so uh, so much detail on this issue.
4: Mm-hmm. Now,
2: uh, how damaging do you think the fatal expulsion by Taiwan authorities of the mainland fishing boat uh, will become to uh, the fishing industry mm-hmm. in the area, mm-hmm. and further uh, to uh, to the cross straits relations in general?
6: Yes. Uh, actually, the negative impact of the Taiwan authorities' uh, malign actions cannot be ignored. Mm. Uh, first, uh, we see the confrontation and distress of public opinion on both sides of Taiwan Straits has been further enhanced by this event. After the incident, the Taiwan authorities have been vigorously operated anti-China, uh, in anti-China populist and in the island. And the Taiwan internet uh, has been filled with, it, it, uh, filled with irrational and even inhuman clamor. Mm. which has further intensified the situation. And more importantly, this incident and a series of events such as the cancellation of Taiwan's group tourism to the Chinese mainland have shown that incoming Lai Ching Day is even more hostile and confrontational in cross relations than Taiwan, uh, that will cast a shadow over cross-strait relations for some time to come. Mm. And in addition, this incident, uh, also, fully exposed, exposed uh, the, the DPP authorities' lack of political foundation and political willingness to conduct effective communication uh, and also the means, the channels with the Chinese mainland. That means uh, some uh, accidental uh, incidents may explode into black swan incidents because of lack of communication that will bring unpredictable uh, crisis to the cross rate relations.
4: Mm.
2: Sounds very worrisome. Now, uh, Zhu Fenglian, uh, the spokesperson uh, from the Chinese mainland said uh, there has never been such a thing as, quote unquote, off-limits or restricted uh, waters in the zones. How should we interpret her words?
6: Well, I think this statement is a clear explanation of the historical context and legal background of this Of this incident. As Mm -hmm. we have just mentioned, uh, whether from a historical dimension, from a legal perspective, or from uh, geographical relationship or conditions, Chinese mainland fishermen in fishing, uh, Chinese uh, Chinese mainland fishermen, uh, their fishing in this area is a historical legal right, which is natural and justified. And therefore, this means the DPP authorities' rough and, and the evil practice in this time are completely illegal and unreasonable. And then we know that the DPP authority must attach full political and legal responsibility for this. And if the Taiwan side continues to adopt a uh, confrontational and destructive posture, unwilling uh, to correct these mistakes and make compensation and so on, the further consequences, I think, will be borne by the DPP authorities.
4: Mm.
2: One more question. Um. What do you think needs to be done to, first of all, restore the confidence of the fishing industry in the area and, of course, secondly, uh, to mitigate Mm -hmm. the ramification of this incident?
6: Well, the first step, which is uh, what the Chinese mainland is doing right now, is to strengthen uh, the maritime law enforcement in these waters uh, from the Chinese mainland side. This is not only affirms the mainland sovereignty and and effective jurisdiction over the Taiwan Straits, but also provides a fundamental solution to safeguard uh, the production and livelihood of fishermen on both sides of the Straits. And at the same time, it can also effectively uh, counter Taiwan's illegal behavior uh, by their uh, administration, by their uh, authority, like some so-called maritime law enforcement. And on the other hand, all walks of life on the island, especially uh, fishing industry, especially the local governments and people from Kinmen and from Matsu, they should strengthen cooperation and communication with the Chinese mainland to push uh, the DPP authorities to return to the common political foundation and cooperation track of the two sides and jointly safeguard uh, the order of relevant waters and interests of fishermen and fishery production in various Aspects, including the development of fisheries, uh, sustainable development, and the conservation of resources and the mar- and uh, of, uh, of marine maritime resources.
2: That was Liu Kuang Yu, researcher at the Institute of Taiwan Studies, Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. You're listening to World Today. We'll be right back.
6: As one of CGTN Radio's most popular programs, World Today provides listeners with a strong mix of international news and business. It delivers in-depth analysis of current affairs and one-on-one interviews, bringing you the stories behind the news—not just what's happening, but why.
2: Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Fresh momentum has surged into China's consumption drive during the spring festival holiday, as evidenced by various data points. China witnessed approximately 14 million inbound and outbound trips during the holiday period from February 10th to 17th, marking a threefold increase compared to the same period last year. Domestic transportation soared, with national railways carrying over 99 million passengers and civil aviation handling nearly 18 million travelers. Meanwhile, preliminary data from the National Film Administration revealed that China's box office revenue during the eight day holiday surpassed 8 billion yuan, or about 1.1 billion US dollars, setting a new record for this holiday period. Now, to take a look at the consumer spending during the spring festival holiday period in China, my colleague Ge Anna joins me in the studio. Thank you, Anna, for talking to me.
8: Thanks for having me.
2: Now, first up, um, I mean, what did you consume during the holiday? And, uh, you know, how do you interpret the significance of these figures? And uh, what are the potential implications for the Chinese economy in 2024?
8: Yeah, uh, if we look at these numbers, it's clear that uh, China's spending strength is definitely on the rise and suggests a strong sense of consumer confidence with more people eager to spend more money on travel and leisure, right? Uh, As we have more cash to spare for non-essentials like vacations and entertainment, this is not only pumps up economic activity in transportation, but also gives a boost to related sectors such as hospitality, retail, and dining, and ultimately driving up overall spending in China. And to your second part of the question, what do this mean for the 2024 Chinese economy? Uh, as we know, the Spring Festival has already transformed into a pivotal window for assessing China's consumer market trends, and also an indicator to the overall economic growth uh, for the uh, c- upcoming year. And let me give you another set of numbers here. May 1, a big online platform says people spend 36% more each day during the holiday, mm-hmm. not just compared to last year, but compared to pre-pandemic level before. 2019. And China Unicom, a telecom company, tells us uh, there was a 73% increase in people visiting shops or uh, in, you know, in scenic or shopping areas. This shows that people in China are really keen to spend more and there's a lot of potential for businesses um, during this period. Another big thing is that people seem to you know, want better stuff uh, in their lives or a trend of consumption upgrading. They are buying more high-quality things and fancy gadgets for their homes this year. Uh, This could mean, you know, more fancy things being made in China, um, a boost to high-quality growth in many sectors. And the government also played a crucial role in the consumption boom. It launched many initiatives to get people to spend more, like with the Online Spring Festival Shopping Festival. Uh, sales online hit nearly 800 billion yuan with, uh, within these eight days. And regions like Guangxi and Sichuan, uh, they have even seized opportunities in Suk Road e-commerce and promoting online sales of quality products from ASEAN and Central Asian countries, For a diverse consumer landscape. I think these all indicate that uh, in 2024, China's domestic consumption will continue to be a crucial part to China's GDP growth.
2: Mm, right. Do you have additional data sets uh, that you believe are going to be indicative of the shifts or distinctions from pre- previous trends, you know, reflecting the changes in consumer behavior or economic dynamics?
8: So talking about this year's mm-hmm. Spring Festival, things have been quite different from what we are used to, especially when it comes to food and travel compared to previous years. Uh, first of all, Meituan, as I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. the Digital Food Plan Uh, They've seen a 160% increase in dining restaurant orders during the first five days of the holiday. (laughs) That's a big jump, suggesting, you know, people are more... um, prefer dining outside Mm -hmm. rather than cooking at home like they used to be uh, during the holiday. And then when it comes to travel, it's not much a shift but a comeback to previous heights. Uh, Chinese travelers are really making their mark worldwide again. SeaTrip.com tells us that ticket sales for overseas tourist attractions have more than doubled compared to uh, the pre-pandemic level in 2019. And, Alipo, uh, and Alipay says international transactions using their app uh, to pay stuff outside increased by 140% over the Chinese New Year break compared to 2019. Uh, that's a clear sign that Chinese nationals are back to uh, to the world stage, exploring the world and spending money abroad like they used to be. Mm-hmm. And... Um, um, mm-hmm. Also, in this year's tourism, we can still spot some changes happening. Uh, take me and my friends, for example. This year, due to some special reasons, I won't. Uh, I only went on, you know, short trips around Beijing, mm-hmm. experiencing temple fairs, shopping, and nearby journeys. But uh, many of my friends had already made plans and uh, bought tickets to places like Argentina, Euro uh, Europe, uh, or um, domestic destinations like. Beijing and Hainan uh, in advance and compared to previous years when cost was a bigger concern it seems that this year people are more focused on enjoyment of the experiences. Many Mm -hmm. people are also willing to spend more on comfortable travel and accommodation such as upgrading to business class on flights, or opting for more luxury uh, um, hotel amenities. Mm. So quality spending is also on the rise as people aiming for uh, value-added experiences during their trips.
2: Indeed. What about culturally? I mean, uh, your observation, what are the most uh, notable cultural trends you have noticed during you know, this spring festival compared to previous months?
8: I think the most notable cultural trend I've noticed is that Chinese people are really embracing their traditions this mm-hmm. time around, uh, with rising cultural confidence. Instead of just doing the euro, um, like wearing fancy new clothes or checking out some fireworks, they're really diving into their cultural roots. For example, in Xi'an City, um, they've lit up the whole city wall with very beautiful lanterns, uh, stretching for almost. 20 kilometers, and it's not just about the lights, they are also putting um, uh, they are also have all sorts of cool performances to entertain visitors and uh, boast uh, their rich history, this back to more than 600 years ago, and also uh, museums across the country have also become hotspots for tourism this year with tickets for museums in various provinces and cities being fully booked about two weeks before the holiday. Mm-hmm. And uh, what really worth of mentioning is the new Chinese style of clothing, uh, which <laughs> is called Hanfu, you know. Right. Yes, the traditional closing of Han ethnic group in China with some uh, modifications with more than elements. And it's everywhere. And people, you know, just not just the young people and senior folks dressed in Hanfu <laughs> and shown of their cultural confidence to, uh, to celebrate this uh, mm, new holiday. Indeed.
2: In, in, in short, Chinese people are spending very busy during this uh, spring festival. Thank you, Anna, for joining me on this topic. Well, that's all the time we had for this edition of World Today. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching World Today. For more discussions, you can follow us on the X platform at CGTN Radio. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Thank you for staying with us. Bye for now.